When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Breaking down some of the Oilers draft decisions over the weekend. Free agency coming up on Wednesday. Coverage will start with Stoffer. We'll start Oilers now an hour earlier at 11. Of course, the anticipation remains, the expectation remains that the Oilers will sign Zach Hyman to a seven-year deal. 7804960063 is how you can check in. Just want to get to a couple of texts here that came in uh, just before the news. Al says one thing I haven't heard anyone say about Duncan Keith coming here is the effect he could have on Darnell Nurse. Darnell will have a Norris Trophy winner to pick his brain. We could see Darnell progress to being a Norris candidate himself. And Cowtown Bob who I love to hear from, says, I recently saw a documentary on YouTube about the Red Wings. There were many comments from Ken Holland when he was a scout, assistant GM, and GM about how they built the team and tinkered with it over years, and it brought me much confidence in Mr. Holland. He's very pragmatic, and we should all be patient as he builds the Oilers into a powerhouse. Well, Cowtown, Bob, I will say this. You used a word that some Oilers fans don't like anymore. That's patient. Because <laughs> they've been asked to be patient for uh, a long time. Um but, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Ken Holland's getting evaluated. I think his uh, first couple of years as GM of the Oilers have been uh, okay. I think this is probably the most pivotal summer and then trade deadline once we get there in February or March. Um, I mean, some of the smaller pieces he's brought in, Josh Archibald, have been good. Archibald, for example. You know, other guys like uh, Turris and Granlund and some players like that didn't work out as well. So we'll see how it goes. Hyman could be an important piece. Um, Duncan Keith could be an important piece. He definitely uh, made a bold move doing that. And uh, we're going to get some new players probably here in the next week or so. We will go to the hotline presented by CertainTeed, professional grade building materials. He is joining the 630 Ched broadcast crew this year for Elks Games, former defensive, uh, defensive tackle in the CFL, 2015 Grey Cup champion, with one of the greatest additions of the double E ever, I think, because they won their final 10 games, including the West final and the great cup. Eddie Steele checks in tonight. Eddie, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, man? Uh, Reed, I'm doing excellent. Good to be back with you. It's uh, second time in two weeks. I feel special. Well, you're going to be on a lot, buddy. When I said that we meant that you're part of the crew now. So that means uh, you might get the odd week off maybe along the way, but we're, I, we love having you on the show and you always have some good insight and you're a good storyteller as well. We're going to, before we dive into the, the, some of the things we're announcing today about the Elks all-time roster, I mentioned 2015. I hold that team in high regard as obviously you do, because you have a nice ring as a result. Um, but in a city that had a five-in-a-row team and a team that went 14-1-1, one one, like, does that team get, uh, I don't know, I, I, maybe not the respect it deserves, but does it get placed highly enough in franchise history, do you think? You know what? I I think it uh, there is room uh, for it to actually be spoken about in a higher regard. 
uh, just solely for the fact that if you look at the statistical, especially defensive speaking, uh, the stats that year that we put up on defense, they, they talk about that defense is arguably one of the best in CFL history. The amount of interceptions, the amount of touchdowns that we scored, the amount of touchdowns we allowed, the sacks. Uh, it was a pretty special defense. And then to get on the run that we got on, like you mentioned, to finish it off 10 straight, uh, it's, it was pretty awesome, man. It was, it was really unique to be a part of that team. And that was such an interesting team, too, because you guys had a lot of dramatic victories. You had a lot of come-from-behind victories. And in that 10-game winning streak, your most lopsided win, oddly enough, was in the West Final against another 14-4 and team, the Calgary Stampeders, which from my vantage point, and I've had season's tickets since 1997, and I still go as a season ticket holder, even though I also cover the team to some extent, but that 2015 West Final is probably one of my greatest experiences ever as a fan, Eddie. Did, did you get the sense that it was just when you guys started to pull away what a party it was and what joy it was for the fans? Honestly, Reed, when you're talking about it, I just got chills throughout my body uh, because that was such a special night. And it was honestly just uh, a perfect storm because we were getting on a good run to finish off the season. We were hot playing good football. But what was really awesome is we had a bye week the last week of the season, and then we clinched first place, so we had another bye. So we essentially had three weeks off. So, you know, it was pretty cool because, you know, guys got to take off and head home, and Coach Jones made sure we all got back into town with plenty of time to kind of get our minds back and focused and sharp and Whenever you clinch that first uh, round in the, your conference, uh, it's just a huge advantage because you only have to win one game to get to the Grey Cup. So we had one game to win, but we we're coming in ultra fresh. Three weeks off of pro football at the end of the season does miracles for the body. Yeah, I, I, that, that was such a such an awesome game. And I think some of you guys went into the crowd uh, and celebrated with the fans at the end of the night as well, which was which was pretty cool. Okay, so... We had voting last week on our website, and people could pick a couple of players at each position for the Elks all-time roster or the Edmonton all-time roster, if you want to look at it that way, because the name just changed. So we're unveiling that this week, and we're going to start tonight. We're doing two positions a night until Thursday, and we're going to start with the D-line, and uh, I'll give it from five upwards. Uh, Ron Este was fifth. Odell Willis, who you know well, was uh, fourth. James Parker who was an excellent uh, pass rusher and got tons of sacks, his third. And then our top two guys, Elmondo Sewell and Dave Fennell, who's from back in the, the earlier dynasty days. Uh, they were the top two guys. Now, you played with Mondo. He has moved on from Edmonton this year. Um, but what, what has made Mondo such a standout player over the course of his career? Well, as we all know with Mondo, he's probably one of the strongest human beings that walks the face of the earth. Um, some of the things that he could do in the gym, just pure natural strength. I've never seen a man uh, ragdoll offensive lineman the way he would in CFL games. It was just remarkable. Uh, but not only was he strong, he was a super good athlete. You know, for someone who played at, you know, 300 to 310 pounds, his whole career, the way he could move and he could run. And it, it was amazing just the athlete that he was. So you combine the, the athleticism, the explosiveness, and then the strength. And then, you know, he's a flat-out dog. You know, once 
once the the whistle goes and we're in between those white lines, he's out there to kill. In football, it's kill or be killed, and Mondo did a lot of the killing. Believe me, I was his, his running mate for a few years. We played right next to each other now with our hand in the dirt next to each other for four years we started with each other and uh, i saw him do a lot of damage out there firsthand right up close eddie what ultimately maybe this might be a tough one and maybe it it might be hard to nail nail it down but i'm going to throw it at you anyway what ultimately makes a good defensive lineman or if you were coaching a group of kids or teens who maybe were just starting playing football and they're all just trying out for whatever position what do you want in the d lineman it begins and ends with your technique uh long gone are the days especially with the higher levels you get to where you could just bull rush people and just out muscle people you need to have technique you need to have proper footwork and proper hand placement it's those little things that really help sharpen your game uh, even as strong as Mondo is that I earlier referenced, I mean, his technique was awesome. And the footwork and limiting the false steps and limiting those little mental errors, that's huge. And the higher levels you get to, uh, you have to limit those because the room for error just becomes so thin and the margins are so thin, you can't just go out there and muscle kids. When I was in high school, I remember you could just run kids over because you're bigger than everyone. Well, that's not the reality at the next level in the junior football and then college football and then pro football. So, yeah, technique begins and ends with it. The little things, though. The things that a lot of kids, a lot of people, they don't want to work on. But that's what you need to work on to perfect your craft. One of the positions in football that is often celebrated is the rush end. Like I mentioned, the James Quick Parkers, right? That they can get the sacks off the edges. I mean, when the when the EEs won in 03 and 05, like one year they had uh, they had Joe Montford on the team, right? And I think they yep. had Alfred Payton another year that could just just blow by a guy or, or out-muscle a guy and get to the quarterback. Now, I know sacks can also come from the interior, but when, when the, the D-line is a group, like if they know one guy, it's like, okay, that's our sack guy. Are you doing things to the O-line to try to set things up for that guy to get a sack when you need it on, on second and three, you know what I mean? Like, are you saying, okay, we gotta, we're going to, we're going to get everybody over us here because we want to make sure old Billy Sacker is, is, is one on like, can you, can you manipulate guys that way to, to try and set up a teammate for a play when you're on the D line? Yeah, for sure. There's so many different twists and stunts and games you can run. Obviously, depending on the down and distance you're in, but uh, any good pass rusher, all they want to do is get a one-on-one. Because a good pass rusher, you should win your one-on-ones. Uh, so if you can set up the front to either slant or have a game uh, to let your, you know, your defensive end like an Odell get their one-on-one, well, chances are they're going to win that. So it's all about setting up the offensive linemen to take advantage and capitalize on your one-on-ones. Sometimes the O-line, they'll max protect, which means they'll bring in a running back and they'll waggle a receiver down. And, you know, you essentially have seven or eight guys creating a wall for the quarterback. Yeah, it's tough to get anything off of that because, you know, when you're rushing four and there's seven or eight blocking, pretty much double teams across the board. But when it's five down linemen against your four defensive linemen and maybe a running back staying in to pass block, one or two guys is getting a one-on-one and you have to take advantage and capitalize on your one-on-one opportunities. Odell Willis, who we mentioned, uh, incredible personality, always fun when he's been on this show with me. 
incredible athlete as well. Like I remember games watching Odell where like he would rush the quarterback and then he'd make a tackle after a receiver got a reception. Like he'd sprint 12 or 15 yards back down the field. Like was, and I'm not saying you didn't do it or didn't try to do it and other guys, but was, but was, was his ability to sort of make a play all over the field, even though he was a D lineman, was that pretty unique for Odell? Yeah, pretty unique and uh, not to take anything away from Odell because he's a heck of a pass rusher, heck of a football player uh, before he got to Edmonton and after he left Edmonton. But uh, having been around the league long enough and seeing Odell, because, you know, we I've seen him my whole career. He got in the league a year before me. So I've seen a lot of uh, football out of Odell, but Chris Jones really got the best out of him. Uh, he had his best seasons under Chris Jones, and it was the scheme that we were playing. Odell wasn't just a defensive end rushing the quarterback. He would drop so many times, and he was a linebacker pretty much, you know, a quarter of the game, getting interceptions and then getting in position to get big hits and create fumbles. And sometimes he'd be able to rush the quarterback from linebacker depth, so he's getting a full-speed head start at the offensive lineman, and good luck stopping him. Uh, so it was it was pretty awesome to see just the different positions he was able to play. And again, just a credit to his athleticism because not a lot of guys can do what he did. And not just a leader on the field, but he's a leader in the locker room. And he's one of the highest uh, level football IQ guys I've ever been around. He he really is a student of the game. He's a student of watching film and you know critiquing guys on different moves and how to get better. And yeah, he he was just an all around great player. All right, Eddie, since we're talking D-line, I'll close with this one. Uh, from you, from when you played, how many more times per game should have the guy blocking you been called for holding? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you happen to uh, catch on Twitter what Peter Diakowski put out? No, what did he say? <laughs> uh, he, just the other day, he, uh, he put out something about how uh, it was the game when he was in Hamilton and Mazzoli. We were up like 36 to three at halftime here in 2016, and Hamilton came back and won. And he he was just putting up a, a post on Twitter talking about that game and how he probably was holding the most out of his life that game, but never got called for. It. And he was just making a funny joke. And then uh, someone responded back with uh, four photos: two of Mondo, two of me, with Pierre's arm just wrapped around our neck. It was pretty funny. Clear as day holds. <laughs> that's awesome. It, it happens on every play. It, holding happens on every play. It, that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, lots of old linemen, I mean, they get taught to hold. And, you know, that's what you got to do. It, it's a hard job. And I know about it because I've done it. I Going back to 2015, I had to start two games, the Labor Day Classic and then the rematch on the O-line. So I was playing defensive line the week before, start two games at O-line, and go back and start to or start the rest of the season on the D line. So, yeah, it, it's a tough position. It's a really tough position. So I, I get it. I really do. It's frustrating though. Yeah, I, I remember that when you had to move around for sure. Okay, Eddie. Well, next time we do this, we'll have some actual games in the books. Well, actually, that's not true. We might have you on next week. When is the game? <laughs> you still got, I was thinking it was this Saturday. It's, I still got to wait till the following Saturday. Yeah, but we'll get there, right? Yeah, camp breaks and it's football season right around the corner, man. Can't wait. Right. Right on. Eddie, see you soon. Eddie Steele, 2015 Great Cup champion. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now a member of our broadcast crew for Elks Games right here on 630 Chat. It's 721. They got in the trade with Minnesota. Minnesota went up from 22 to 20. The Oilers got 22 and 90. They took Luca Munzenberg, a defenseman, six foot two, about 190 pounds from Germany. He spoke after being drafted from the University of Vermont, where he's ready to begin his freshman season in the fall. And Munzenberger, as a member of the German World Junior Team, was in that tournament bubble in Edmonton over Christmas and New Year's. It was a great experience, though. Um, I liked it a lot. We got there, and the problem with our team was that we had a couple of COVID cases. So we had eight, I think it was eight players of us getting tested positive. That was pretty bad, but the f- facilities in Edmonton connected to the, the hotel, that's great. Like, the arena is very, very nice. I loved it to play there. It has been such a great experience, and I can't imagine how great it's going to be with fans in there. Because of Corona, there wasn't any fans allowed in there. But with with the fans, it's going to be a huge experience. Luca Munzenberger, he had uh, a lot of energy. He was absolutely thrilled to have been picked by the Oilers, and he uh, was excited that he'd received the text from Leon Dreisaitl a few minutes before he did that Zoom availability. And, of course, he uh, identified uh, Leon as the number one German athlete in the world right now. So it was uh, Borgo in the first round, Munzenberger in the third, Jake Chason. We had a little interview with him earlier in the fourth round. Sixth round, they got Medvey Petrov. And Shane Lachance, that is Scott Lachance's son, the former NHLer, he was in the sixth round as well. And out of Moose Jaw in the WHL, Max Warner, 212th overall. You can get more on all these guys by going to the website, 630ched.com. A little more uh, Oilers draft chat, free agency chat, and also Morley Scott. Calvin McCarty's a stampeder. What's going on? Morley will have the lowdown. says why is Alex Stalock being treated like chopped liver also the biggest negative about Koskinen is that his salary is too high for basically a backup goalie so what's wrong with offering him considerably less money in the next contract 
Uh, I wouldn't say, if, well, I mean, I, I don't think Alex Stalock is being treated like chopped liver. I think Alex Stalock is being treated like a goaltender who has not played a game in a year because he did not play a game in the regular season last year. He last played in the playoff bubble here in Edmonton. So that would have been last August. Um, so I, I just think that, I mean, he didn't get claimed. So he's still on the roster, and I would think he's going to get a chance to be at camp and see what he can do. I just don't think that, for me anyway, you can look at him and say, okay, that's sort of the window he's going to perform. Yes, Koskinen is overpaid. That's not Koskinen's fault. Um, But I I, I would think that... uh, I would think if the Oilers could find a way out of that contract this year, I mean, I'll, I'll counter, I'll counter you this, Marcel. What if somehow you could trade Koskinen for Kemper? I mean, there'd probably have to be other things involved. But, I mean, you'd have to look at that, wouldn't you? They both have a year left. I mean, certainly Kemper's a better goalie. But, yeah, I don't think Stalock's being treated like chopped liver. I, I just think he, because he hasn't played in a while, they they can't really bank on on any sort of performance that's that's what i think anyway 780-496-0063 is the number to text and also call the hotline presented by certainteed professional grade building materials we've had the voting completed for the elks franchise all-stars we were talking a little bit about the d-line with eddie Steele, the top two vocators dave Fennell and Armando sewell and special teams, the number two vote getter was Dave Cutler, the great kicker from the five in a row teams. The uh, winner, no surprise, he says that he's honored the fans still remember him. It's touched me a lot. It, it really means a lot because that's when you say a football team, your family. And when you've been around as long as I have, the fans become your family, you know. And um, one of the reasons, too, because, you know, I work at Commonwealth and I work at Kinsman, so I see people all the time there. So anything going on, if anything go bad with the Elks this year, you can believe I'm going to be paid for it. But it do mean it, it mean a lot that, to get that support from the fans, you know. It, it really do. Of course, it is the guy who's known by just one name, and it's not even his real name, Gizmo Henry Williams. And he explains why he was able to have so much success running kicks back. I had God-given talent. I had a natural speed. I was built, you know, I had a pretty stocky little body. But I think the most important thing was it that made me success and what we had guys that stayed with us for a long time. You know, the Jed Robinson, the Mike McClain, the Larry Rock, you know. Donnie Wilson, these are the guys that, uh, Trent Brown, these are the guys that, uh, Rio Wells, these are the guys that block for me. We established something, I think my first year, and every, when I first came to Edmonton. The Giz. There's nobody like him. There is nobody like him as we welcome Morley Scott to the show, our Elks play-by-play voice. Fun doing this. We did it with the Oilers a couple of years ago, picking the all-time team. And look, for both franchises, there are some obvious ones. And the most obvious one for the Elks, for the double E, is the Giz. Like, who, like the, the way I understand it, Morley, was people could vote and they could pick two players, right? Four. Pick four players. Pick four players. So Giz, like, was pretty much unanimous if you look at the percentages 
He got, <laughs> like he got more votes than anyone in this entire uh, uh, event, and his margin of victory was bigger than anyone else's. So that tells you. I mean, uh, Rod Connett put it best. He just called. He said, I feel sorry for everybody else in the special teams category because they're just placeholders. They're just they're just there to fill out the roster because Giz is winning it, and, and he's absolutely right. Uh, and no offense to, you know, the the guys who, who finished second, third, and fourth in that category, Dave Cutler, Larry Highbaugh, and Hank Alessic. But I think, you know, we knew Gizmo was going to win, right? I don't think – since we hatched this idea months ago, we all knew Gizmo was going to win on special teams. Yeah, and, and we had the D-line uh, earlier, and I, I mentioned uh, the top five there, Fennell. Sewell, Parker, Willis, and Este, and then I mean some great players like you know, Blue, Legrone, Boone, uh, Stu Hill. I, I remember he was awesome. Melvin Hunter, yep. Benny Goods, all on the list. So some of them, I like. I could have looked at that D line and thought, man, I wonder who people are going to pick. But uh, you know, Williams, like you said, Williams, Cutler, Highbach, kick returner, Alistic, uh, Sean Fleming, Sean White up there as well and the, the beautiful thing about giz and you and i are lucky we still get to talk to him and like you said he lives here you'll, you'll see him at a rec center he's a personal trainer like he he has it all like he had the ability but he's got the personality i mean sometimes his post-game yeah. interviews were more entertaining <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely yeah he, he's the enthusiasm and the excitement and and the love he has for the game and the people around him is incredible i still remember i read a couple of years ago we're uh, we're at the field house and and uh, the football team's practicing in the field house and blake dermott's there and we're we're talking and all of a sudden you hear this in the background here this and blake goes oh giz is here and he because he, he heard him right he turned around and those two who played together for several years the the laughter they shared for the next 15 minutes they just kind of stepped 15 feet away from everybody and the giggling and the laughter was just incredible giz just brings that out in everybody he's just he's just a guy you're happy to be around whenever you have a chance to be there he's just he's just got that just wonderful personality yeah, awesome, and uh, thanks to everybody who uh, who voted, and of course, uh, somebody's going to get a pair of Elk season tickets out of this as well. Tomorrow, we're going to do linebackers and defensive, defensive backs, backs, and uh, the linebacker position. There are oh. some like there's like there there could there could be a CFL Hall of Famer that's not in the top four. There could be two. There could be two or three, actually, when you think about it. Yeah, Uh, it's incredible. Like that's uh, we got together. uh, I know you you chipped in a little bit and uh, and Dave and and Kevin Karius. We kind of got our heads together and, and put this list together and. You know, originally we'd get like four or five for each category. And then someone would say, what about this guy? And we go, oh, how can we leave that guy off the list? He's so great. Uh, and, and, and it's just incredible the amount of talent that we've seen at different positions. But the middle linebacker spot especially, linebackers in general, but the middle linebacker spot especially, just uh, an embarrassment of riches for the green and gold over the years. And uh, it's, it's hard to decide. It's very difficult to decide who is the best among those. All right, so uh, we'll have this throw, throughout the week, well, Monday to Thursday. It's it's a lot of fun to talk about, and we're yep. slowly getting towards the first game of the year. I want to talk to you about yesterday's scrimmage because I oh. understand there are some storylines there, but, and I saw our colleague Dave Campbell write this yesterday, and I, it's, it was one of those double-take moments when you're, when you're looking at Twitter. Calvin McCarty <laughs> is a Calgary Stampeder. How? Why? I, What's going on? I first saw it. It was tweeted out by John LaFave, who is the uh, media relations director for the Calgary Stampeders. I immediately tweeted him and said, you've been hacked, because that can't be true. That can't be true. And he assured me he wasn't. But, yeah, uh, I guess Kelvin's retirement 
got to him quickly. Uh, he didn't want to sit around in a rocking chair. He didn't want to uh, watch football this year and decided he wanted to get back into it. And, of course, uh, the Elks roster set that they've got a really good young and upcoming uh, fullback in, in Tanner Green, who they're really high on and has been the guy for the last couple of years. You know, it's, it's funny, Reed. Over the years, I've been doing Elks games for for 11 years now and every year somebody comes to training camp and someone says well that's the guy that might take Calvin's job and at the end of training camp that guy gets cut and Calvin gets to keep his job Tanner Green was the latest guy the last couple of years and then uh, going into 2020 uh, the Elks and Calvin did not come to a contract agreement so Calvin was going to wait it out and and hopefully get an offer and then the season got cancelled and then after a year off he decided he was going to retire and made that announcement back in March and then this came out of the blue yesterday um uh, the Stampeders have some injury issues at uh, the fullback spot, and I think they reached out to him out of a need uh, uh, to, to find someone. Charlie Power, their fullback, uh, I believe, ruptured his Achilles uh, this weekend, and I think that is where the conversations began with Calvin McCarty going to Calgary. Uh, it's it's the perfect fit for Calgary, really, because he's experienced, he's close, and he can step in right away at in week three of training camp. You won't have to teach him a lot because he's a wily old vet. It's a perfect it's a perfect fit for Calgary. It's a good fit for Calvin if he wants to keep playing because he's going to get the opportunity to play for uh, football fans in Edmonton. Eh, it's not such a great fit, I don't think. But that's that's part of the game, right? We've seen some great players come from Calgary and and uh, have success in Edmonton, and now we're seeing it the, the other direction. It kind of reminds me of a couple of years ago when uh, J.C. Sherritt retired and then was announced as a, as the linebackers coach for the Stampeders, and everyone went, what? Uh, same situation. Is he but still I don't there, Cal- or has he moved on for that from already, Sherritt? Uh, well, he had retired. He had announced his retirement, and uh, no, no. And but is he still the coach there? No, he's gone. He's 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 working at his uh, he's working at a school in the states now. I think he's right. I thought I heard he'd left at a yeah. school. Yeah, he just he just did the one year in in Calgary, and and that was it. Then he moved on. But it it, it kind of had that kind of familiar uh, feel to it when you know one of the one of the you know the died in the wool. Uh, you know, Edmonton football players goes to the arch rival as as a coach in this situation as, as a player now in Calvin. I know Calvin McCarty's a big wrestling fan, so uh, kudos to him for the ultimate heel turn because uh, <laughs> it caught everybody by surprise. This is this is Hulk Hogan going to NWA or NWO, right? So this is uh, uh, it's a great move by Calvin, and uh, I wish him lots of luck. And I'm glad he gets to keep playing because obviously that's what he wants to do. And I think that's the main part is is uh, is Calvin's going to be happy and he's going to be back on the football field. I, I wish him all sorts of luck except for that one week in September. All right. Uh, Morley Scott. And maybe, and maybe in, uh, and maybe and in the December in the Western yeah. final. Right. Okay. The scrimmage. What's, uh, why, why am I reading that it didn't go so well? What, what happened yesterday? What's, what's the story? Well, I, I don't think the, the coach was, it didn't sound like he was happy with a lot of the little things. Um, uh, first off, he did it uh, on Saturday. He was talking about how he wanted to get the team, get the timing, the pregame timing down for the team. And he wanted guys to understand what it is to go through a pregame. So he had them out. They did a full warm up on the field. Then they went back into the dressing room and then they came out of the dressing room as they would for a game. Uh, they even got Tavon Smith to sing the national anthem. He wasn't played in the scrimmage and, and he ended up singing the national anthem. But uh, Elizondo said afterwards that there were some stragglers and we didn't get guys out in time some guys were late coming out some guys were early coming out and we, that didn't part didn't come together the way one that's that's pretty t- pretty minor when you when you put it all in perspective because on game day august 7th they'll have you know they'll have floor directors telling them where to go and when to go and everything but so they learned their lesson of that i don't think he liked the fact that a lot of players did not have good days some players 
just didn't play as well as they had played throughout uh, the first two weeks of training camp. And I think that's what bothered him. I think because he's also the offensive coordinator, he didn't like the fact that there was three interceptions. As head coach, he liked it because he wants his defense to go steal the football. And he talked about that a little bit, saying, you know, I got I to gotta wear two hats for this conversation now because I got to go into the offensive side of things and meetings and tell them we can't give up the ball like that. We have to do our, we have to do a better job protecting the ball. And then I have to go into the defensive room and say, great job, guys. You did exactly what we want you to do. Uh, and, and I just think that he just didn't like the Christmas uh, Christmas crispness of the day it just didn't flow the way he liked and the way he wanted it to I know even the, the first team uh, offense uh, their first series it, it was kind of shaky they had a couple couple missed passes and drop passes uh, but then in their second series I think Trevor Harris came and went four for four in the next uh, in the next series and 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 everything got back on track a little bit uh, there were interceptions came when the other three quarterbacks were at the helm uh, the other two of the, those three threw touchdown passes as well uh, the run game looked really good that's what I was really impressed with James Wilder jr. Uh, looked very good in the times uh, that he got to carry the ball and uh, Terry Williams is all as advertised the guy who's going to be a great returner but can chip in on offense and I'll tell you what they may have a gem in Walter Fletcher uh, uh, running back out of, out of Ball State who has had a really good training camp and really took advantage of, of the situation uh, on uh, yesterday in the scrimmage and really Sean when he was able to to get the football so uh there are there were good signs and there were not so good signs throughout the day and uh, now as as jamie elizondo said yesterday the guys who feel they didn't participate up to their abilities now have four days to prove that that was just an off day and that they're good enough to be on the football team because they had today off from practice they'll be back on the field and going at it uh, uh tuesday wednesday thursday and friday cut down day is uh, friday night around i think it's around eight o'clock our time 10 o'clock eastern will be uh final cut down day we'll probably hear the the final uh, rosters for the start of the season for week one uh, sometime on saturday morning I believe it's called a regeneration day, Morley. Not Re- a day yes, off. that's right. Regeneration please get, please day. Get that is the, up on the lingo. That is the word of uh, of the uh, of the day for this uh, for this franchise and this regime. Regeneration is indeed what they call uh, the days off. Not days off because you're still not off. They still have meetings and they still have treatment, but you're take care taking care of your body, regenerating, and you're supposed to be ready to come out full speed ahead tomorrow when they hit the field at ten o'clock. All right. I know there's some stuff on your PVR you probably have to regenerate morely, so I'll let you get to that. I, it's a little late for me, but I might I might get in a I might get in a show or two for sure. <laughs> Maybe watch some Olympics, but Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you anyway, soon. Anyway, yeah, we'll have we'll have some more Elks All Time All Stars tomorrow morning on six thirty Ted Mornings uh, with Daryl McIntyre, and then you'll you'll have uh, the top vote getters tomorrow night. Right on. That's Morley Scott, play-by-play voice for the Elks. And, uh, yeah, tomorrow it's going to be linebackers and defensive backs. So uh, that'll be fun. And, uh, again, today the top two, D-line, Dave Fennell, Almondo Sewell, special teams, the Giz and Dave Cutler. No doubt about uh, the Giz for sure. Hey, uh, Oilers first-round pick. You're going to hear from him when we get back. Xavier Bargo drafted 22nd overall by the Oilers Friday night. I spoke to him shortly after that happened. Well, Xavier, welcome to the Edmonton Oilers. How are you feeling? How did it feel when you heard your name called? 
it's uh, just crazy. Uh, for real, I can describe this more like with my family, all my friends. Uh, sometimes I'm so thankful uh, with this with those person, my coach, my agent. So, like, I'm just shook right now. I'm so happy. Well, tell me about all the all the people you were with and what it was like having that energy around you. Uh, I think we are 50 to 60 person here. Uh, it's just crazy. Uh, all the people. Uh, I can't can describe it for real. I'm just so happy. Everyone's so happy for me. So it's it's very nice to see them. Right on. Tell me a little bit about your your playing ability. What do you think some of your biggest strengths are? I think my my creativity with the puck. A very good player offensively. Uh, very good shot. Very good playmaker. Can so can score goals. But a player who's very serious and everything, like on the ice, off ice, uh, like to to put the effort. And on the other side of that, what are some things you would like to work on? Maybe if we were to talk a year from now, what would you like to say, hey, I'm I'm better at this now than I was last year? Uh, just to be more complete as a player defensively, but also uh, to get some, like, gain some weight, get stronger again. And, uh, like, uh, defensively, get better. And also, like, just to be more consistent sometimes. But that's a, that's a thing uh, I'm working right now. Tell me about making it through this past season. The WHL didn't play a lot of games. The OHL didn't play at all. I, you know, I think in Quebec, you guys had some starting and stopping. What was it like as an athlete going through that? Uh, mentally, it was hard. Like, uh, we only played 20, 20 games. Like, I played 20 games, but I think, like, to play and stop sometimes. This, this season, which was shut down sometimes, it was hard mentally. But I think uh, I, fight, uh, I fought through this. Uh, I, have some, I had some gold in my mind. So uh, I think uh, I did pretty well with the, the COVID situation and all this. And I'm happy uh, with my uh, my season and with everything uh, like about this season. Who are some NHL players that you look up to or you try to model yourself after? Um, a guy who like uh, T.J. Oshie from Washington Capitals, I think he's a player like me a little bit. Uh, like he's, he can score goals, very agile on the skate. And like he's, he's very good to score goals around the net. And, He's a good, really good playmaker too. Were you uh, expecting to go sort of in this range in the draft? Did you have any expectations going in about where you'd be picked or, or by who? Uh, yeah, I think that that was a little bit of my my range. Uh, like uh, I also have a good, a really good interview with the Oilers, great staff, and I think they really like me in the interview. So uh, I kind of have a little uh, feeling with the, the, this team. Do you, uh, do you follow the Oilers a lot during the season or do you have other teams that you pay a lot of attention to? Nah, I really like to watch uh, the Oilers, uh, a team that uh, is very like. Okay, a little bit there from Xavier Borgo, the draft pick for the Oilers, 22nd overall. And uh, yeah, he was uh, very excited, as you might imagine. Got a trade tonight. Looks like the Winnipeg Jets are getting defenseman Brendan Dillon from the Washington Capitals. And the Jets giving up a second and third round, or pardon me, two second rounders, I should say. A second rounder in 2022 and a second rounder in 2023. Dylan, three more years left on his deal. Average annual value of $3.9 million. All right, you heard from Morley Scott and Eddie Steele tonight. Thanks to everybody who called in and texted. We'll uh, talk more free agency, NHL storylines, more Elks, all-time all-stars tomorrow. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy, your studio operator. My name's Reed. Have a great night.
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.